everybody. <laughs> and welcome to our virtual audience. We were realizing at lunch it's been over three years since Deborah and Reese and I have seen each other. The last time was in November 2019 at the Mystery Convention in Dallas, Texas. None of us could imagine that it would be such a long time before we all got together again. Wow. So this is really a wonderful occasion. Um, Reese will be back on March 11th with her daughter, Claire, to do another Molly Murphy book. And then Kara Black, her good friend, um, has another World War II set in Paris book. And so Reese is going to do double duty, because she's going to talk to Kara after her own event on March 11th. So I get her points from stamina. Hi, come in. Um, there are plenty of chairs over there if you want to just put one down. Anyway, um, Reese is here to talk to Deborah, and this is, I can't remember which Kincaid and James book is this. Do you remember the number? I do. It's 19. Okay. You need a book. Can I get a show and tell? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Thank you. It's covering it. Oh, all right. Here we go. Everybody, um, I'm I'm Reese Boyd. In case you don't know me, and if anybody has not been on this planet for the last 20 years, this is Deborah Crombie, who writes a wonderful, I suppose you'd call it a police procedural series, but I hate calling it that because it's not. Um, set in England, and uh, I now know that it's book 19. I would have guessed 20. I thought we should be celebrating. We should be 20. We'll celebrate 20. Should be 30, time. actually. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, anyway, um, for those of you who. Is anybody not familiar with Deborah here? Oh, we've got a whole room full of fans. That's yeah, brilliant. Great. So, so we've come a long way in the past twenty-something years since Duncan Kincaid was um, uh, a newish cop in London, and he got assigned um, a rather difficult uh, person to be with him, and. Um, and want to tell us a little bit about the beginning? Well, it, first I think I have to say that we are actually celebrating yesterday, I think, was the 30th anniversary of the publication of the first book in the series, The Sharon Dad. Can everybody hear me back there? I mean, the reasons that are projecting than I am. So I'm straight and get to you in the back. I can't believe it's been 30 years. I just, how did that even happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. What a good point. So it was the Sharon death. Sharon death. Yeah. February, I think February okay. 3rd, which is actually my granddaughter's birthday, uh, 1993. And then the second book was? All Should Be Well. Be well. And the third book, I always get to introduce <laughs> the third book. <laughs> because I have always called it Leave the Grass Green. It's actually leave the grave, the grave green, but I've distinguished myself at many a conference talking to them. My agent, my agent calls it the same thing. Oh, so the the fertilizer, yeah, yeah. I know. It's yeah. just, I don't know why I can't ever get past it. <laughs> the fertilizer book, I like that one. And the interesting thing is that if you had real-time characters, Duncan would be getting social security. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and Toby would be married with three kids. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, it would be yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's really nice in a book that you can just move that tiny bit ahead each time, and therefore you can freeze them in time. We were talking at lunch about what do you do about COVID? Do you bring it into a book? Um, and you know, if you do, how difficult does it make it for everybody? And we decided that. Well, the, and I, I call it a floating timeline, and I, it was something that I thought about very early on because I knew I wanted to write a series, and I knew if I wrote the series in real time that you would end up like Ian Rankin, where you'd have to <coughs> retire your detective, like poor Rebus, retire him and bring it back. Um, but I didn't want to stick them and keep them in the same decade like Sue Grafton yeah. yeah. You know, it's true that yeah. Kenzie Milhouse became historical fiction. Yeah. After yeah. we well, got she was still writing yeah. them. Yeah. Um, so, I, and P.D. James, for, I was a big P.D. James fan. Uh, she sort of did that with her Doll Gleesh books, where the mm -hmm. timeline floated because every book was contemporary, but, mm -hmm. and the characters moved on. They did have change and growth in their lives and careers, but they 
they just kind of, kind of an alternate universe. Um, so that's what I've tried to do with my books. And actually, it's, it turned out to be a, a, a pretty good plan, because otherwise I'd be in big trouble at this yeah. point. Uh, so, I mean, I think people would like to know, how did you come up with the series to start with? I know you've been a huge Anglophile, and you were living, were you living in England or in Scotland when you came up with it? No, I was actually back in the States. My, uh, my, my ex-husband, my first husband, is Scottish, and um, I've actually been to England, Scotland, spent time there, come back, met him in Dallas. <laughs> and of all the bizarre <laughs> terms that life takes, yeah. um, and then went to Scotland, and uh, and we were married in, in Scotland, a, a little village outside Edinburgh called Livingston. We lived in Edinburgh, and um, and then he was transferred to, to England uh, to RF Sealand, which is in Chester. Right. We lived in Chester, and then well, this was early '80s in the UK. It was Thatcher. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. the era of Margaret Thatcher and all the, the draconian economic policies, and uh, it was tough. And he wanted to move to the U.S., so we ended up we ended up coming back to the U.S. But I was just desperately homesick for England, and we came over as often went over, I should say, yeah, yeah. since we're in the U.S., yeah. uh, went over as often as we could on holiday, and uh, we were in Yorkshire. I was a huge James Harriet fan, mm. and I had been on a couple of previous trips to Thirst. I had actually yeah. met Alf White in his surgery and had books signed, and uh, so we were, we were back in Yorkshire in Thirst, and um, we saw on, in the Scottish moors, I mean, in the Yorkshire Moors, um, a Georgian townhouse that had been converted to a timeshare. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wouldn't that be a great place to set a sort of, you know, contemporary country house mystery? Um, so I got this going in my head, and I went home, and I thought about it, and I thought, well, I'd need a detective, and I would want my detective to be a Scotland Yard detective that would have enough seniority to be sent other places if I wanted him to, to go other places. And then he would need a partner. And it would be fun if the partner were female mm -hmm. and uh, from a different background, because Duncan is, is from a sort of literary middle class family. His parents own a, a bookshop in uh, Cheshire. And so Gemma is, uh, is a working from a working class family in North London. Mm -hmm. And because um, I wanted them to have some conflict in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we went from there. But I just decided I was going to write a crime novel. And everybody I knew, including my ex, made fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember at one point he said, well, what are you going to do if you don't sell that book? Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to write another one. <laughs> I can remember too talking to Deborah way back at the beginning that I, if I recall right, it was not your intention that Gemma and Duncan would no, be on no, a romantic relationship. No. They were going to be working partners, and you were actually pretty adamant for a yeah. while there that you know, yeah. no, they would never yeah. get yeah. together. Yeah. Sometimes characters really do have minds of their own. Once you create them, you already can't control them. Right? Yeah. But he was married to someone else when we saw. Well, they, he was divorced. They yes, were both divorced. divorced. Yeah. Uh, Gemma's husband had, and we've never figured out what happened to Gemma's ex-husband, yeah. who just sort of up and abandoned her with, with baby Toby. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, there's some book there. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe we'll find out one of these. Because yeah, she did give Duncan's ex-wife. Duncan's ex-wife had yeah. a yeah. We know what happened to Yeah. We know what happened to Duncan's ex-wife. But no, we've we've never found out what happened yeah. to Rob. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she says portentously. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, you can always skip around in time. You could yeah. always do like a prequel to yeah. the series very easily. Yeah. 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 For a short story, which yeah. is yeah. my total failing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I had I had no idea. And we, we did we did struggle with it because there were big consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly for Gemma. Um, you know, it, it was not the two of them having a relationship 
was not really a hardship for Duncan, other than the fact that they would have to give up working together, which they were really good as a team, which he appreciated and still appreciates. Um, but for Gemma, it was a really big deal. Um, she's giving up her autonomy and what it might possibly do to her career prospects. And so, but people tend to move on in life. And they did. Yeah. We were talking about that yeah. over lunch, well, too. Yeah, I, I was saying lunch. One of the things that I love, I mean, if you call this a police procedural, you're actually, um, you're narrowing it down way too much because the thing that's interesting in this is about <coughs> the personal life of the characters and to see how, you know, as she said, you didn't know that Duncan and, and Gemma were ever going to get together. And we've moved on to that now with, their, with the various minor um, police people who come in and have got lives of their own and so every book it's kind of fascinating I don't know if you've kept up with the series but you want to that's what you want to know each time you know what's Melody doing now and is she going to go back to Andy and you know so you know that that's the thing I think that sets this apart is it's so character driven it's never plot driven so I, mean, I should take a poll because I get you know Facebook message from somebody <coughs> who said I can't wait to see what happens with Melody and Andy and Somebody else said, I don't ever want to see Melody and Andy again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that, that, that's what makes it special, is to find out what they're doing next. And then what, when you start to write a book, do you have some idea of what everybody's going to be doing? Do you have charts on the wall and everything? Or they just sort of show up and you think, oh, but you're here now. <laughs> it's kind of half and half. Yeah. Um, I generally have an idea of what I want where I want the different storylines in the book to go. Um, I don't think I've ever written a novel where I didn't know how things would eventually play out. Yeah, how things would eventually play out. But then as you're writing and new characters come in and, and you know you kind of have offshoots that you didn't expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, see, as soon as you've invented someone, you then have to give them a life. Right. We, we then have to follow them, you know, it's like right. it's mushrooming, so eventually, like, when we get to book 39, there'll be like 12 different plot threads. <laughs> I love it, though. I mean, that's yeah. what keeps them fun, yeah. and people will say, well, yeah. you know, you've been writing, and, yeah. you know, Reese, you've written yeah. so many more books than I have, but, oh, aren't you tired of them, or yeah. aren't you bored with yeah. them, and no. Yeah. Well, another thing with having all of these different characters, and also these different points of view, yeah. is it's wonderful for the suspense. You know, just to when we're following this person here and think, oh God, don't go there. Then we go to somebody else, you know. And it's it, it's incredible, you know, it's exciting. It makes the whole book driven like that. Yeah, the fun of writing multiple viewpoint. And I yeah. do think it, it keeps it yeah. keeps it interesting. I actually wrote the last scene in this book at the very beginning. And you two will yeah. know what it is, but yeah. I won't spoil it for yeah. you guys. No. Uh, and it, I don't think I changed more than a couple of words mm -hmm. when I got to That's the That's wonderful when that happens. Yeah. yeah it's really and, nice. Yeah. And I've actually done that with quite a few books mm -hmm. where I, I knew, and it's sort of like putting something up there that's sort of hanging in the distance that yeah. you know you're, you're working mm -hmm. towards. Yeah. Well, tell us about the plot for this one, because one of the things I like about uh, Deborah's books is we learn something in every book because we're in some sort of environment. We're learning about rowing on the River Thames, or we're learning about having a restaurant in the Cotswolds. And this time, we're in two environments. We're in a hospital, and we're also with a potter. So talk about why they came in and what you wanted there. Well, I did start out really with either one of those things. The, one of the initial inspirations for this book is I read a book called The Ghost Map by Stephen Johnson. Has anybody, have you read that, Barbara? I haven't read it, but I know of it. Yeah. That's a different thing. Uh, which is a nonfiction book, and we get in the little backstory snippets in this book, we get a little bit of that history, but um, it's a nonfiction book about Dr. John Snow in, I think, 1853 in Bloomsbury in London, 
who discovered the cause of cholera mm -hmm. in London. And that book reads like a thriller. It I mean, it's just yes. absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. It is the beginning of epidemiology. Should we spoil it by telling them what he found out? Do you all want to read it in case you're trying? No. Yeah, well, right. it has, yeah, it has to do with, with you know, we know now how cholera is transmitted, right. but they didn't. I mean, in, sure. in the, in the Victorian London, the asthma, yeah, they, they thought it was bad yeah. air. Yeah. Uh, or it was actually it was, the public water supply. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was Dr. John yeah. Snow who deduced that it was actually coming from the public water system and the sewage that was being discharged into the Thames from upstream and that certain pumps yeah. in London, yeah. he was able to, to trace. It down to one pump. Yeah, 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 which is was the Broad Street yeah. pump, which yeah. you can still see yeah. in front of the John Snow pub in uh -huh. his yeah. you should have. You know, I was going to just say, I'm glad you're doing that. There's an excellent map in the book, and I found when reading it yeah. that I kept going back to the map to kind of locate myself because they are moving around up from Notting Hill and then over to the Holborn Police Station and then down into Soho. If you don't know the map of London in your head by heart, it's really helpful to yeah. have this excellent map. And they're so beautiful too, those maps. What's this, about? This, uh, the illustrator's name, is, is for those of you who haven't looked at these before, is Laura Maestro. And she's been doing the maps for the book since the first one was Pistis Akabai, which was the sixth book in the series, and there's only one book since that doesn't have a map, which was um, And Justice There Is None, which is the book that's set in Notting Hill, and it was my last book with Penguin Random House, as it is now, mm -hmm. and my editor knew I was leaving, and she said, I'm not paying for a blankety-blank <laughs> <laughs> map. <laughs> People can... People can look it up on a London street map. <laughs> so that's the revenge missing map, doesn't it? Which is one of my favorite books in the whole series, and Notting Hill obviously yeah. being one of my mm -hmm. favorite parts of London, and I hate that that book doesn't have a map, but yeah. there it is. We've, we've gotten Notting Hill in, in other books. Yeah. Um, but Laura does these wonderful maps, and they are actually very accurate as well as being charming. Somebody uh, emailed me the other day and said, I'm planning a trip to London in June, and can we use this map to follow the locations in the book? And I said, yes, absolutely, except for the fictional things that are slotted in, like uh, the hospital, which is fictional, and the bars are fictional. Um, so where were we? I got lost. Uh, <laughs> let me just say something, since you're talking about geography, those of you who've read the whole series may remember that the early books all moved around. You were not always in London. Um, you know, you mentioned yeah. Chester, which is over on the Welsh border. Well, even A Better Face, the last book was in the Cotswolds. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But was, a lot yeah. of them yeah. have yeah. been yeah. in London, yeah. which yeah. is in part because of the nature of yeah. their, their jobs. But um, the early books give you a chance to explore. And then occasional later books, yeah. uh, different parts of England. Well, I, I think really that's enjoyed. because the, the nature of the Met changed. You know, in the past, yeah. you'd have the centralized police and you'd send right. them out to a case. And now, you know... Now it has now, to be Westman's uh, yeah. holiday. Yeah, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. because policing is all over the country now. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's annoying, it's changed. Yes, yes, <laughs> I would really like to send them back to Scotland, but yeah. that is really... You know, they should have consulted you before they, they made absolutely. a bureaucratic decision <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, so we, what, what we were talking about before is why we decided this time on focusing oh, on the hospital. Yeah. So, uh, so my my original idea for this book, I wanted to set a book in Bloomsbury. That's one of the reasons that I moved Duncan to Holborn Police Station, because Bloomsbury is has such wonderful history and it's so literary and all the associations, literary associations, the Bloomsbury Group, Dorothy Sayers, Virginia Woolf, and then of course the British Museum and. Um, University. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I wanted, I, I have this idea, and then I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if somebody died? And I, you know, and I was thinking actually that it would be somebody carrying a very contagious virus. <laughs> this was pre COVID. Yeah. And then I started thinking, okay, that's going to be way too complicated because. 
if that were the case, it would be the World Health Organization would come in and the case would be taken out of Duncan's hands and how would I make sure that they didn't get sick? And so it sort of evolved into this. I don't wanna to do too many spoilers. I mean, there is something that happens in this book, but it's not COVID and it's not an unknown virus. Um, but that kind of gives me the creeps now yeah. to, to yeah. think that I had this idea and we don't like it when real life imitates no. art. <laughs> uh, well, just think if you'd been one year earlier yeah. and it had come out right before COVID, you would A, have doomed the book and, yeah. and you know it would have been really horrible. Well, and I had just started the research for this book in October, November of 2019, and then we all know what happened in February, March 2020, and I had trips planned, I had research planned, and I didn't get to do any of it. No. Um, so I sincerely hope when everybody is reading this that it's not apparent how much of this book was written with Google Street View. <laughs> um, and those, all those, the fancy cocktails I made up, yeah. um, which I didn't actually get to go to posh London cocktail bars oh, and, uh, yeah. and try yeah. in person. I had a lot of fun though, and the worst parts of lockdown following all these London cocktail bars on the internet and reading all the cocktail cocktail recipes, but it was, yeah. it was tough. And even the pottery in this book, um, I have a friend who is a really, really talented young potter and I had done one learning session with her and was planning to go back and do more and then we didn't get to do any of it. Mm -hmm. At least I got a little feel for it. So there's always little bits of things that get pulled in. I think that's one of the, the good things about being a writer in a pandemic is you can you could live in London vicariously, yeah. which, you know, I was writing a book set in Paris and, and um, I had all the maps around me and photographs yeah. I'd taken and everything. It was really lovely to be in Paris for the day. <laughs> you know what was really, yeah, what was really strange is when, you know, the book was finished and the copy edits and page proofs and, and I'm reading it as a finished book and there were parts where I wasn't really sure, I had to think about whether this was a place that I had actually been in person or whether it was just a place that I had been dozens of times on Google Street View. <laughs> Yeah. Because it seemed so real to me by that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but one of the things that we all like about Deborah's books is the reality of the research. I mean, so many people you read a book and it's set in London, but you know, you, with Debs, you're going to a pub on the corner and you think, I know that pub. Yeah, I had fish and chips there, and it it's all so real. So I mean, I know that's important to you that normally you go to London every year, don't you? Yeah, at least once, sometimes on really good years, more than that, and you know, I usually stay three, four weeks at a time. Um, I got to go back in October, this last October, first time, it's the longest in my writing career that I have ever been without a trip to the UK, and it was so hard, um, but it was really- Why was it so hard? Well, I mean, it was so hard not to go. Oh, for okay. Yeah. All right. I thought yeah. you meant you know, yeah. it was hard to uh, suddenly see it again. I just felt like there was a big piece of me missing. Not got it. Well, London, I think, is such an interesting city because it's actually a series of villages. I mean, it yeah. started with a core, and there were villages all around it, and then gradually, like like Metro Phoenix, right? Because we're doing the same thing. We're engulfing. You know, people yeah. always say to me, is Scottsdale part of Phoenix? Well, you know, it's all Fountain Hills is soon going to be, you know, all the way. Um, who, who knew that Carefree and Cave Creek, where I used to take my mother on a whole day outing for lunch, you know, it's now Scottsdale right up to the yeah. boulders, and that's yeah. what's happened in London. But it's kept, I mean, Reese, you would know this better than I, although I spent a lot of time there. It's kept the village. Um, feeling in yeah. the different villages, so yeah. the neighborhoods in London are really distinctive. They're different. Very distinctive. Yeah, yeah, very, very distinctive. distinctive. Uh, it's not like Manhattan. No. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, actually, even Manhattan is DC, yeah. but now that I think about it. But. Yeah. yeah. Well, this book actually ended up being set in Bloomsbury and Soho. I didn't start out to write about Soho, yeah. but it, it, it had a mind of its own, and it mm -hmm. went that direction. Um, but even as close as Bloomsbury and Soho are, which you can see on the map, mm -hmm. well, they're sort of actually juxtaposed like this. Yeah. Um, but they're very different. They're very different. They're, yeah, their histories yeah. are different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, character. And yeah. I mean, when you think of, I mean, you just, for example, take St. John's Wood, Swiss Cottage, Hampstead, Golders Green. You've got four completely yeah. different um, communities, absolutely. Yeah. And, and certain people would not live in one, but would live in another. So that's what is fascinating, yeah. isn't it? You've got so many areas you can still set things, which is very nice. Book 35. <laughs> <laughs> which is only one year later in yeah. the lives yeah. of the yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm really trying to, to slow that floating timeline down now because of the kids. Yeah. Because I don't want the kids right. to be out and gone. Out no, and gone. No. It's also important in series where there's a dog. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Seriously, you know, because dogs age so fast. Yeah, and yeah. I do know uh, several authors who write series that have David Rosenfeld, David Stabenow, yeah. and the Kate Shugek, and all. And they have to think about not letting you yeah. know, the dog yeah. get too old. Well, mm -hmm. Sorry, yeah. Paul. Why dogs? They're being so good. Yeah. Well, writing a dog to start with it is, is one of the things I've tried not to do. In fact, uh, my lady Georgie's just got puppies, and I think, what was I doing? Because, you know, if you have dogs in a book, you get all these letters saying, you didn't walk that dog for 29 pages. The cat box. My first five books actually were published by uh, Scribner, and I had a wonderful, wonderful editor, yeah. Suzanne Kirk. And in the second book, All Shall Be Well, Duncan's neighbor in the building, which he still owns that plot, by the way, in, in Hampstead, in oh, Harlington yeah. Road, so yeah. we may have to do something yeah, with that. Yeah. That's book yeah. 34. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Might actually be the next book. Yeah. Let's see. Um, but his his uh, upstairs neighbor dies, and so he's taking care of her cat, who eventually becomes their cat, Sid, who's yeah. in the illustrated map here. Um, and my my editor, Suzanne, when her editorial note, she said, you haven't had him clean out the cap. <laughs> really? People want to know yeah, that? Yeah. If you're a cat person, yeah. it's important. If you don't do it, you got a problem. <laughs> you got to walk those yeah. dogs. you got to clean out the little dogs. Yeah. So can you give us a slight hint about this, I mean, you've mentioned that there might be something to do with a hospital and with, can we say any more? Uh, yeah, I think, well, and you can read the, uh, the, the jacket copy. Um, a young woman, well, the book starts out, Duncan is in the Perseverance, which is the real pub mm -hmm. down the street from Hobart Police Station, which is a real police station. And if you ever get to London, Lamb's Conduit Street is just absolutely one of the most charming streets anywhere in London. Um, so Duncan is having an after-work pint and the Perseverance. He's waiting to meet Doug Cullen, his sergeant. And there is a young woman sitting alone. And uh, she's anxious. She keeps checking the time on her watch and her phone. And uh, after a few minutes, she's very striking, and he notices her. He's not flirting with her, but mm -hmm. notices her. And after a few minutes, she gets up and leaves. And then half an hour later, Duncan gets, and Doug get a call out that there has been a death, a murder in Russell Square, which is quite near. It's a five-minute walk. Mm -hmm. And when they get to the crime scene, and Duncan has guessed when he was watching her in the pub that she might be a doctor because of the way she's dressed. Mm -hmm. She's wearing scrubs and in the UK nurses. Mm -hmm. the, the big hospital is right next door, which is not the hospital where this young woman works, as it turns out, because I couldn't use yeah. Great Ormond Street. Yeah. Um, but in the UK, nurses generally wear like uniform tunics. Mm -hmm. So she's wearing scrubs, so he thinks well, she's a doctor. And so when they get to the scene in Russell Square and they find this young woman dead, it is the young woman from the pub. And she is a doctor, a junior doctor, who they 
say, a trainee, a trainee doctor. Um, and so that is what pulls us into the story. And I did have to invent a fictional hospital, which I named the Quorum Hospital after the, it's the, the, the foundling home, which yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with. And Thomas Quorum, who was the Victorian um, gentleman who created the foundling home. And uh, I actually put the fictional hospital where that building is actually, I think, a, a residence hall for University College mm -hmm. London. Mm -hmm. So, but you have to, you have to stick things somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that's one of those tricky things you get into: is what real things can you use, and what things do you have to fictionalize? There are two nightclubs that feature in the story, and they are both completely fictional because you don't want to use a real place. It's always a challenge, isn't it? Because yeah. you want you want it to be so real that the person who reads it says, oh my God, I'm in London, isn't this wonderful? But then if you write, if you have something horrible happening in a place, right. you know, you can't do that. You can't have a real bakery in which someone's dead in an oven. You know, no. Because no one <laughs> 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 Put a great <laughs> But you know, I was thinking when we were talking about it, that street names in London are so fabulous. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can make up stuff, but it still feels authentic, you know, if you have Lamb's Conduit Street. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I mean, where, where are you going to find a name Threadneedle like Street. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Threadneedle yeah. Street comes up often. Yeah, and right next to the back. So yeah. I think yeah. that the street names really help you yeah. create that, you know, realism, um, even if you're making up places. Yeah. Yeah. Also, sadly, many places in London have been, instead of old places, are now, you know, like, Pizza Hut or whatever. I never forget going to Windsor Castle the last time I was in England for um, whatever the July conference is in Harrogate. That's it. Yeah. And we went down to Heathrow and ended up spending the night. Windsor's right next door to Heathrow. Travel yeah. tip for you: if you're ever stranded at Heathrow, do not stay at Heathrow Airport. Take a taxi for five minutes to Windsor, <laughs> where there are any number of really good places to stay. But I still remember walking out to look at the castle. And it was McDonald's and Pizza Hut, and you know, it's kind of like going to Egypt and seeing that the Sphinx yeah. is like three feet from McDonald's. Yeah. You have to get the right view to even yeah. think about the Sphinx as old. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the street names, however, have held on yeah. despite yeah. all that, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Except in places in the East End where the bombing was so severe yeah. that streets have just disappeared now. And all I, right. But I know around Liverpool Street Station, my um, my publisher Lake Union has a, Amazon has a huge headquarters right there at Liverpool Street, yeah. and it's now just this completely new open concept building looks like, you know, with trees growing through it and everything. And I didn't even know where I was because it's so different. Yeah, but yeah. in a way, if I remember right, the East End was like some of the worst slums in London. Oh, so well, in yeah. a way, it was urban, yeah. forced urban uh, renewal. It was, yeah. um, and that's also true of Hamburg, Germany. If you go to Hamburg, yeah. it was just flattened mm -hmm. during the war. And so it's mm -hmm. um, all brand new, shiny, you know, more, more livable yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a hard thing. The Great Fire of London yeah. was yeah. responsible for eliminating most of medieval, or a huge chunk of medieval yeah. London, which was pretty close to uninhabitable yeah. by yeah. the time oh, the yeah. fire burned and yeah. then, you know, Just think rats. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, so sometimes those terrible events yeah. for people who survived them or came afterward yeah. turn yeah. out to have some benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, we can't really tell you any more because it's really tense and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could uh, talk about the kids. We could talk about the kids, yeah, because yeah. that's one of the nice things is we want to know what's happening in everybody's life. Mm -hmm. So, interesting turn of events for Toby here, right? Yes, Toby is, well, and if you've read the, uh, at least the, A Bitter Feast, um, actually, we're going back to the book before that, I think, Garden of Lamentation. Toby is dancing in uh, ballet, and he's seven, and he went to a ballet class that actually they had taken Charlotte and her little friend Oliver to mm -hmm. a ballet class, and Toby just fell in love. And Toby, this was actually sort of based on the son of a, a longtime friend of mine who is grown up and married with kids who are actually this age of Toby now, that uh, he was a little bit older than Toby, but he went to 
a, a ballet class with somebody's sister or something, I don't remember, and was just absolutely blown away and yeah. decided that he wanted to dance. And he did, he made it all the way up to the Seattle Ballet and it blew me out, which happens so often yeah. to dancers. And I am the most uncoordinated, unartistic, unathletic, yeah. unartistic yeah. person to be. And my daughter never danced. I mean, we took her to yeah. a couple of lessons. She had no interest whatsoever. She did. She was a gymnast. And uh, so I'm getting into territory here that I know nothing about. Well, with about Toby two and years ballet. time, so if he's about ten, he can try out for the Royal Ballet School, yeah. and then he can yeah. set something in the in the ballet, which yeah. would be pretty fun. Yeah. And I've actually sort of introduced a character in this. It's so much fun yeah. when these secondary or tertiary characters come into the story and you think, oh, they're going to get to come back in another yeah. book. So yeah. Wes Howard, who is a character that has been in the, Wes and Betty, who have been in the book since Anne Justice, there is none. And uh, they have a fairly big part in this book. And Wesley's has a sister named Destiny who is in costumes at uh, at the, the Royal Ballet. Yeah. And um, yeah. so I'm thinking that that, and she's a great character. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking that that may be a fun connection that could yeah. come up. Well, I see we've book. already plotted four more books for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a gift. Well, and then there's the business of the nanny. Yeah. And I have not figured out what I'm going to do about that. I know other things that are going to happen with Gemma's job mm -hmm. and stuff yeah. that yeah. we will get to in this book, but I don't know yet what we're going to do. Yeah, but it was Annie. a very sensible discussion about, yeah. you know, if she is going to spend all her time trying to manage the kids in the house, she's not really going to be a big yeah. success at Scotland yeah. Yard, and so somebody does suggest to her that a nanny would be the answer, and yeah. I thought that that was Well, it, it, it offends Gemma's class sensibilities, yeah. because yeah. She, yeah. she comes from a working class yeah. background, and she thinks only yeah. only posh people yeah. would have nannies, but she and Duncan had both got really, really challenging careers, yeah. and with three kids, and too much responsibility yeah. on a kid, yeah. who needs to be and Doing, it's not like it's yeah. not like it's an old-fashioned nanny who raises yeah. the child. It would just be after school, getting yeah. them fed and put to bed. You know, it, 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 so. don't you talk to some degree back and forth between which one of them is the yeah. lead character? Yeah. So because yeah. Gemma's up next, she can't be yeah. up next if oh, she doesn't have, have some have, kind of help. Yes, I, I have fun. <laughs> Fun things in oh. the store. Have we started the next book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, not okay. as much as I should, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I know a lot of the stuff that is going to happen in the next book, and it will be Gemma's major case. And Gemma is, she's going to be making changes and going someplace new. Because in this book, she's basically doing a desk job. Yeah. And yeah. she's miserable. Yeah. You know, she yeah. wants to be a, a boots on the ground investigator. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I do kind of, I do try to juggle back and forth. What was really fun about the previous book, A Bitter Feast, because it is a Busman's Holiday book where they're in the Cotswolds, is that um, on holiday, that Duncan, Gemma, Melody, and Doug all get to investigate the same case, and they yeah. get to do it together. Yeah. So. No, that was a yeah. great book. I loved that one. Um, another thing I like about when Deb writes is she gets the language right. I mean, you have That's so you, great to hear you, you have a great feel for it. So often, I will be given a book to read, and they say something that you know no English person would ever say that. I have gotten this or something. Oh, no, no, never, never. never. <laughs> you know, she. Do you know this? That you do not. The British do not say gotten ever. Yeah. Say, I, I don't know why, but they don't. I have got a cold. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but you get it. I mean, you get that great feel for the language. I mean, which I'm very impressed with because it's a long time since you've lived there. But you still, you still manage to pick up on um, actualities too, and on the current speech of it. You know. Um, well, we were talking about this over. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I there was a, another author who played, who's writing a series in London, and in the Woolworth Park. 
They what? They used the word apartment. Oh, oh of no. And I was, it just took me right out of the story. Yeah. And I thought, you do, you do. Yeah. You do see in London now sometimes, and I would say at births, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> advertising. Yeah. For apartments, yeah. but it's still it's not common. No, it's no, not I mean, common people usage. People in shelves would say, "Come to my, come to my." Yeah, come to my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screeching halls. Yeah, really bummed me out. But we we were talking uh, at lunch about authors reading at book events and um, how it can often just be really. Deadly. I mean, I said I don't ask authors <laughs> yeah. or generally don't yeah. stifle the idea. And but I said I will beg, beg not to read. At a book event because what I hear in my head is not yeah. Yeah. what my characters sound like on the page. No. And you know, yeah. Texas accent. Yeah. You don't want me to do a, 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 a faux. You don't want you don't want Debs to say he was a right tosser. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not but that's not what I hear in my head. Yeah. What I hear in, yeah. in my head is and I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I lived with a Scot for 13 years, and, yeah. I, and I live there, and but it's just like it's sort but, of. But you know, even I, I don't live there, and I find every time I go back, the language has changed just a little. I mean, about three years ago, four years ago, nobody called everything cracking, and now everything is cracking. Let's crack on. What a cracking thing! It's like every third word. But then, if you use that, and your book comes out in two years' time. You might not need it anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'm still using brilliant, which yeah, I, if I maybe you don't say brilliant anymore, but I it's did. such a good, yeah, yeah. One of my it's such a good adjective. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I do try to keep up. I mean, mostly I don't keep up as well as I should with American crime fiction because pretty much everything I read yeah. is British. Yeah. Because I just yeah. want that constant feed. In my head, I watch British TV yeah. and read British. Did you have a lot of criticism back at the beginning? Many of you may know Elizabeth George was really raked over the coals for a long time for daring to write a British novel, a yeah. detective novel, when she actually was in Washington State. Yeah. So, did you run into much of that? Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, early reviews, that was pretty much anything that anybody talked about is Texan writing British mysteries. And now, I think it's it's pretty accepted. Yeah. Hey, one of my first reviews for In Farley Field on Amazon was a woman who said, I knew nothing about England. I knew nothing about how the upper class or how they spoke. Well, I'm married to one, and um, I spend a lot of each year in yeah. a manor house in England. And John was so incensed he was going to find out who this person was and hunt them down. <laughs> <laughs> My absolute favorite was there's a British author, some of you may have read her called Ruth Dudley Edwards. She's actually oh, yeah. a columnist yeah. for The Economist. Yeah. She wrote a phenomenal series, really funny series of mysteries that began with a book called Matricide at St. Martha's. It took place at Cambridge, where the president of the college colluded in murder and whatever. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, she came to a mystery conference in Muncie, Indiana for years. Ruth Dudley Edwards did, not, not Jack Troutbridge, the Cambridge Dunn. Um, and so she decided to bring Jack, the Cambridge Dunn, to Indiana on a sabbatical. So, you know, she could set a book in Indiana as sort of a, yeah. sort of a homage to the people that were running the conference. So Jack comes and, you know, the book set is called Murdering an American. Uh, <laughs> right, and so the whole book takes place in Indiana and Jack is Jack and all, eventually she goes back and afterward, we were the publisher, I got a three-page letter from a woman, I think she lived in Michigan, correcting every single use of British in the book. You know, she said, you know, she can't have a self with the telephone. She can't do this, can't do that. And I thought about that for a while and I wrote her back very politely and I said, possibly you didn't notice that Jack is British. <laughs> <laughs> Why would she suddenly start speaking American, even if she were temporarily oh, yeah. in Muncie, Indiana? And then I thought, didn't this person have anything else to do? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so you know, there's some really comic things that can happen. And if you think that, you know, we speak, how is it they say that we're one 
two countries divided by a common two yeah. countries yeah. divided by a common yeah. language. Yeah. I think is, and then if you throw Australia in, it's yeah. completely the other yeah. thing. I had an author the other night, Jane Harper, here from Australia. No, it was a different author, but anyway, she was talking about surfing, and she was talking about she had a character that. Um, was going down to the beach surfing, and she had a line called like, hey dude, or something, you know, surfer yeah. language. We had somebody listening from Australia. So Patrick steps up and says, our Australian listener, she says, said, in Australia, it would never say dude, it would be mate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, yeah. it's really um, astonishing yeah. how different English is, depending on where it's being spoken. Well, and where you get in trouble is the things that you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I just, I had an email last week from my German translator saying, uh, in the, in this scene where they find the young woman who's been stabbed in Russell Square, and I've given her, because I figured she doesn't have a, a, a driving license. You don't say driver's license, you say driving license. Yeah, right. And because a lot of people in Britain, particularly in London, don't have driving licenses. Mm -hmm. They don't need them. It's very, hard. Yeah. it's very hard to pass your test. Mm -hmm. I have friends who have taken it like three times and can't pass it. Yeah. If all Americans had to take tests like that, but I gave her an ID card that had her address. And um, Andrea, Andreas, my translator, said you wouldn't have an address on an ID card because they stopped the general ID cards in I think 2011. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, you know, it would have her name and it's, uh, well, there's a name for it I'd have to look at, but it says that you're legal to drink alcohol. So it would have her photo, name, date of birth, but not her address. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I've had a couple of British readers who read it in manuscript and they didn't flag it, yeah. so let's not worry about yeah. it. But and let's not make it German. Yeah. That's the other point. Yeah. You know, a yeah. translator shouldn't be translating it to make it more German, yeah. right? Because it's yeah. actually a British. We are very detail-oriented. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes uh, you get a bigger thing, as we've said, and it throws you out of the story. Yeah. Then you don't want to do that. But sometimes with these little niggly things, you want to say, it is fiction. Yeah. This is fiction. You're reading a fiction book. If you want to read that, read that. Mm -hmm. So, you know. I, I love it when some writers have said, I know Laurie, I said, Laurie, that, that square in London, where is that? She said, I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can make things up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, are there any questions that any of you would like to ask? Come on, don't be paralyzed. There you go. Well, I'm glad you talked about the maps because that was uh, very interesting to me. I've been thinking about it the last couple of days, but I went to England for the first time, and I enjoyed England more after I got back, and I was reading your books, and they go along the tube station, and they're reading off the same stops I went to, and so I was wondering, I was thinking it was pretty accurate, but it was nice to know how, how much accuracy I am actually there. obsessive about that stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. for every, and, and I don't even know if I should admit this, but this book got cut by 100 Pages. Oh, oh, that is the most I have ever had to cut out of a manuscript. Um, yeah, it was. A well, my hotel was in Bethnal Green, and I thought, look, look, we're in Bethnal yeah, Green. Yeah. So, I mean, I enjoyed my trip more after I got yeah. back. I've been there, I've done that, I've seen that. But I want to know how people get from here to there. I'm obsessed with geography, basically, and my editor will come along with a big because she still edits on the page and you know I'll get big pencil strike out saying cut out the blankety blank GPS <laughs> but I actually drove on Google Street View you know well, like if you're taking the west way from Melbourne to Notting Hill where do you get off because I didn't want to get it wrong so is most of what got cut Detail. I mean, you shouldn't cut. You didn't cut important storylines, right? It was mostly stuff like GPS stuff. Yeah, it was a whole lot of stuff. We we cut everything from 
the whole scenes and you know, and, oh. and when you're in that editing process and you're just strike, 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 <laughs> Carrie, my editor, said, you know, we, 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 we should cut 50 to 100 pages. And it ended up, by the end of the copy edit, exactly 100 pages shorter. So you can be glad you're not carrying a doorstep. <laughs> it just made me think of something else. I just read a whole series. Um, it's a different genre. But when she got to the end of the series, she wrote this book called Outtakes. And basically what it was, was it scenes that got cut out, things she would have liked to have done. So it was, it was very interesting to see the kind of things that she left out. Alternate endings. It was very you interesting. You will never see that from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I edit. I, I edit as I write. And, well, actually, I do have... I do have a copy of the original mm -hmm. 550 yeah. page yeah. manuscript, mm -hmm. but I couldn't, you know, I would have a really hard time going back and picking through it to see. It was just the, kind of interesting. And, and, yeah. and, and we have cut, we have cut, I'm a really good editor, I have to say. I love my editor. She makes me a much better writer. And if you keep turning the pages here and you want to, get to see what happens in the next scene, you can at least partly thank my editor, Carrie, because she is really good at helping me see how to keep that tension going. Um, and I completely forgot where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you wind up cutting very much out of your books? Um, I really don't, no. I, um, I think by the time I've finished a book, I, what I do is every day I start by editing what I've done the day before. So there's a lot weeded out yeah. at that stage because I never like to start looking at a blank screen. So I go through what I've done the day before and, and I will move things around. And that's the wonderful thing with computers. And when you're writing a mystery, you say, well, wouldn't it be great if we didn't find this out till then? And then how about, no, she would probably say this, that I'm writing a book at the moment which has... Um, so many different plot lines that I'm thinking, when do we bring this in and when do we bring that in? And you know, you, you do this a lot yeah. because you have so many yeah. characters and it's so easy if you're writing the classic mystery body on page one and then I'm gonna solve yeah. it and I've solved it. You know, that's lovely. But when you've got different people who are doing different things at different times, it gets quite complicated. I, yeah, I have a whiteboard with arrows going all <laughs> over the place on it. You know, we need to know this here. Um, but yeah, uh, I've done like storylines where yeah. you know there's this plot line and this plot line yeah. and this plot line yeah. and what needs to happen, what, where it starts, yeah. where I want it to end, and the the incidents that have to take place yeah. in order to move it yeah. from here to here, and then how you weave. Sorry about your book. How you weave all those together. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if you're writing an investigation, it does have a, basically a forward yeah. moment. You don't have yeah. a tremendous amount of flashback and yeah. so forth if you're writing it procedural. Although you can, depending on yeah. which characters are speaking yeah. and all. But yeah. Well, and when you're dealing with multiple viewpoints like this and with the same investigation, you don't want to repeat what you found out yeah. from one character's right. viewpoint from another yeah. character's viewpoint. So. So did you cut any extra bodies? No. That would have been really complicated. I think part of the issue with this book is that because I couldn't go to London and I was just struggling and I was overwriting because I was struggling. Yeah. So. I used to go to London uh, once or twice a year for over 20 years to get my cases. I was an admiralty lawyer. And I stayed in Bloomsbury. I stayed uh, e either at the Hotel Russell or uh, the President Hotel. Yeah. So I know a couple of the, uh, the pubs that are there. I don't know if you ever <laughs> came across the, the Friend of Hand. Yeah. The Friend yeah. of Hand where, where Charles Dickens used to hang yeah. out. Yeah. And also the, uh, the, uh, uh, the museum. Uh, the museum. The yeah, well, actually, in the, the fictional ceramics gallery in this book is on Museum Street, which museum, the museum tavern is on one corner and the plow is on the other. So this would be really familiar. Yeah, I, 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 for the third time, third, the last time I saw the Queen, 
I was at the uh, museum cabin, and she was coming out with Philip in the Royal Rolls Royce with a crown on top. Oh. And they're very nice to put on the lights, and just yeah. so you can see. What <laughs> so I, I, I used to I used to walk the streets around here, so I kind of know yeah. the area. This uh, on the cover is actually the Bloomsbury Tavern, which is on New Oxford Street, which is sort of the, the top end of Bloomsbury. And um, it was actually the final resting stop when they took somebody to uh, Tyburn. Yes. To hang at Tyburn. So, so it's a very, very historic pub. And I have not written it in the story. And when we came up with this cover, I went back and I put in the scene. There's a scene that yeah. takes place in the Bloomsbury Tavern because it was just too good not to. And if we're going to talk about um, Bloomsbury Hotels, I had to get in the Fitzroy mm -hmm. uh, at Russell Square because I was just absolutely fascinated with the Fitzroy. And I had to make sure yeah. that we got the Fitzroy on yeah. the map. It was designed by the uh, the architect who did the interior design for the Titanic. Oh, wow. Um, and it's just a, a amazing landmark. Yeah. I heard from a taxi cab driver when I was out there in 2013 that the interior, which is oak, I think, or, of the Russell Hotel, is identical to the Titanic. Oh well, I, that must be uh, must be the Fitzroy. Maybe it was has changed names oh, over the years. It's yeah. the big sort of orangey red yeah. berry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the Fitzroy. It's the Fitzroy they now. Yeah. yeah. So we've kept you sitting a long time in this not very comfortable chairs. Barbara, right can, before, oh, can we get a couple online, online questions? questions? Yes. 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 Yeah. So. Sorry, First of all, Alan Bradley and Hank Phillippe Ryan say hello and greetings. Um, Jell from Australia would like to know how you keep track of your characters um, when you're writing because you have so many and you've created so many deep characters over the years. Not as well as I should. Uh, I didn't know when I first started writing that I should keep a Bible. You keep a, you keep no, Bibles no, for your no. books, right? I have to look through. I've got them all on the I do. Yeah, I do say, too. Which, which book was this called? Yeah, that's that's exactly yeah. what I do. Yeah. Okay, I know that we introduced that character in Necessary as Blood, and what yeah. exactly did yeah. I say about yeah. them? Um, but the Bibles, I think, are sort of if you have more time yeah. <laughs> and yeah. not enough to do. Um, you can ask fans. That's the other good part. Sometimes yeah. they remember more yeah. about it. Than Actually, I, I, it worries me when people are reading the series straight through <laughs> that yeah. uh, that they're going to catch me out on, on yeah. things that I have yeah. not kept. Is well, that's is, what copy editors yes, do too. They can wrapped up. You said she had brown eyes in this one. Yeah. She didn't in the last one. Yeah. yeah. Is there another question, Ben? Yeah, so the other question is uh, in regards to Museum Row, and they want to know what your favorite museum is out of that. Uh, museum Row? Uh, she's looking at Museum Row maybe on the map. Maybe I'm misinterpreting the question. Well, perhaps she means where it's the Science Museum and the V&A and all oh, those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think it would have to be the V&A. The yeah. 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 I went to the Beatrix Potter uh, exhibition when I was there in October and it was wonderful but the V&A is always on my list. Yeah. I love the V&A. They once had a fabulous, a fabulous exhibit of underwear. Underwear from Tudor James forward and I said to my husband as we were going to London, I really want to go because I love fashion. I really want to go and see the underwear exhibit. Well he forgot that I had said underwear and he came back to me after a while and he said seriously he said you want to go see something called naked? <laughs> <laughs> Right, so before we end, real quickly, tell us about the Jungle Ribs, because oh. you two, and Hank, who is watching, yeah. Yeah. are part of a group called the Jungle Rib Bloggers. Writers. Writers, yes. sorry, they yeah. blog. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. tell us what it's about, Reese. Well, there are seven of us, and um, we live all the way across the country. We've got Hank Philippi Ryan, we've got Hallie Efron, in, and we've got Julia Spencer Fleming in New, New England. We've got Deborah in Texas. We've got Jen McKinley, which I'm sure a lot of you know, and myself here and in this area. Lucy Burdett in and either Lucy Florida. Either in Florida or in, and so we blog 
every day. Um, and each one of us takes a week to host, and we have a lot of guests. So we introduce people to a lot of new writers that way, which I find is very helpful to myself, learning about new writers. And um, we chat. We've been a great support group because we chat online pretty much every day. And through, through COVID, when you couldn't see people in, in person, it was really wonderful to know that you've got your sisters online. And we have a huge following. We have probably a thousand, over a thousand yeah. views a day. So. Yeah. And it's interesting the number of people who watch us but don't comment on anything. Yeah, you know, one of my editors in New York will say, that was a very interesting post the other day. And you think, oh, God, they're all reading it. <laughs> but no, but if you ever have some spare time, jungleredwriters.com, go and, go and look right. at us. And I'm glad you held up Hank's book, because I was going to mention the house guest. I talked to Hank yesterday. She couldn't be here today, partly because mm -hmm. it's like minus 50 in Boston. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> this is a wonderful book. It's a standalone book, and so she's yet another of the Jungle Red writers. Yeah. Jen McKinley, most of you probably know her, she lives here. Um, so we're fortunate that we have so much contact with all of you. Anyway, thank you authors very much. Let's give everybody a round of John has very thoughtfully made Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.